I believe in the the laws of metaphysics. I believe in thought being creative. I, I believe in there's only one power and it's called love. And I don't think there's such a thing as evil. I think there's an absence of good. I think that light can throw itself. Darkness can't throw itself. Darkness is just an absence of light. And I think evil, as they call it, is just an absence of good. I don't think it has its own force. But I have to believe that there's there's a universal spirit out there. And there's a, there's a universal force that, that we all belong to. And, and that when we feel at harmony with that, the world becomes a more magical place and starts providing. And, and I think that we're, we're far better when we're loving each other. I think we're far better when we're seeing the world from other people's point of view. I think we're better when we love. That's really it. That is Ian Dicko Dixon. And this is episode 280 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is my podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today, my guest is Dicko. Yeah, Dicko. Ian Dixon, my former Australian Idol colleague, the man making a musical comeback with a massive tribute festival happening on the Gold Coast. It's happening in August. You can get tickets at www.almostthegreatestgigonearth.com. That's it. All one word. Almost the greatest gig on earth. So if you're new to this podcast, if you're just showing up, what is this show? Well, for a start, I'm Osher. Hi. I work on the telly. Sometimes I count roses. Sometimes I write books. Sometimes I ride my bicycle. And this podcast is a conversation that you get to be a part of, a conversation designed to hopefully help you make today a little bit better than it was yesterday. That's it. Something you'll hear in the next hour and a bit is going to guarantee it. It'll make you go, oh, Maybe try something new or look at something a little differently. That's my dog, Frank. He occasionally shows up. Um, Thanks to everyone that came to the gigs on the weekend. It was excellent to put on the shows and excellent to put the shows to bed in such a great way. Those live shows have been a hell of a cracking journey and a wonderful way to meet people from all over the country. They were the best shows ever. They were the best shows we've ever performed. Of course, I'm telling you this on last Wednesday is when I'm recording this. So the shows may not have even happened. They might have been total flops. Or they may have burned the venue to the ground with rapturous applause. Either way, a thank you. It means the world how much you came out and supported the live gigs. A total dream to do them. And I'm really grateful that you allowed me to do such a thing, something so different from what I'm known to do publicly. And um, it was a real example of how manifesting something into reality is well and truly within your power if you work towards it, uh, which is something that I go into great depth with my guest Dicko today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. 
but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. My guest today needs very little introduction. Ian Dixon, Dicko as you know him, was a brilliantly powerful record company executive that worked hand in glove with Simon Cowell as they created and broke so many massive acts, including Westlife that had more number ones than the Beatles uh, right across the planet. Dicko came out to Australia to work with BMG Records and a few years later came to public prominence as the nasty judge on Australian Idol. A massive media career followed, TV shows, radio shows, you name it, Dicko did it. But as you'll hear in our chat, the Dicko as we knew him no longer exists. He's a different man. A man who's left behind what he once was, what he once wanted, and is now rediscovering his passion for music from an entirely different place. He's putting on a massive festival, which we go into great detail about. The gig's happening August 10th on the Gold Coast. You can get tickets at almostthegreatestgigonearth.com. You thought you knew Dicko. You thought you knew what drove him. Well, prepare to know something new. Enjoy this conversation with Ian Dicko Dixon. How are you, Ian? Do you know what? I'm... Um I'm alive again. <laughs> I am. You laugh. Don't laugh at me. I'm not laughing at you. No, you're laughing with me. I'm alive again. I've got my ambition back. Uh, last few years in television, I drifted into a kind of a half-life where I really lost my ambition. And I didn't realise how much of a crime that was until I got it back. And, yeah, it, it all really came from leaving Sydney leaving Sydney, and moving to a small hippie town in Sunshine Coast hinterland called Mullaney. And it's a very easy place to say yes to things, so say yes to book clubs, say yes to growing vegetables, say yes to double denim, which is actually more liberating than you will ever imagine. It's the I'm Toowoomba sure. tuxedo, mate. Because in Mullaney, because <laughs> it's, it's the place where the, uh, the folk festival is, you can get away with smile pockets in Mullaney and no one's going to blink at you. No, no one blinks. And people get around in Mullaney without shoes on. Uh, whole families of shoeless uh, people. It's marvellous. And and you can have progressive ideas. You can like refugees. You can believe that climate change is real. All the, imagine. I never thought that was possible. But, yeah, it's um, it's fantastic. And there's a Buddhist school up there. Mm -hmm. And kids that come out of there are incredibly well-rounded. And mm. I'm just – I could not be happier. So, um, 
Yeah, we when the girls left home, me and Mel thought, right, where can we move to? Well, where they'll never move back in with us. So we found this small place. Most and boring. So place. far, so good. <laughs> it's the most boring place imaginable like, that you could find. Well, you got an hour out of Malula Bar up there. Oh uh, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. yeah, we're up the hills, so we've got a beautiful yeah. views down to the um, Coolum, Mount Coolum and the sea yeah. on one side, and on the other side of the town, views to the Glasshouse Mountains yeah. and the and the faint glow of Bridge Vegas. <laughs> I um, I spent some time up there at a Buddhist retreat called Chen Rezig yeah. in my twenties. That was very transformative uh, mm-hmm. in my life, like to to spend some time there and be. Why did you do that? We had booked, my band had booked to go on tour and so I'd gotten time off work. I was still working Midnight to Dawn Radio and I, my band had we'd gotten two weeks off to go on tour and then the tour fell through like four days out, you know. All the promoters went, nah. Well, we you didn't go. fancy going on a bender in the valley. You went to a Buddhist retreat. Uh, so I was like, okay, I've got an unexpected, you know, 10 days away from radio. I'm going to go. I'm going to go and do And I went and did some silent meditation up there. And I. But why did you choose that? What was driving you? I'd heard about it. I'd heard... You know, I'd been kind of toying with Buddhism and I'd been toying with vegetarianism mm-hmm. and um, I'd just come back from being in Europe uh, with my dad and I'd been overseas and been back to Prague with him for the first time since he escaped and had a whole new perspective on the world basically. Mm-hmm. And then I, I got there and I met a I met a Buddhist nun called Daiki Lee who taught me how to meditate and taught me about chanting and uh, introduced me to, you know, the way. Do you still meditate? I try to. You used day, to meditate yeah. before every Australian Idol show. I, I did. You had a big piece of butcher's paper, which yeah. you put on your dressing room door, saying, silence, meditating in progress. I said, please leave me alone on meditating. So I, was, I seem to remember it was a little bit more strident than Maybe. that. Maybe. And I'm pretty, sure, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you crossed it out and, and changed it to masturbating. Yes, I'm, I'm certain that childish prank did take place and I was the perpetrator. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is I guess is that it's something that you've been d- doing – my mind runs at such a pace yeah. that I, I find it very – it's one of my difficult challenges is to be in the moment. Yeah. I read the um, – I read those amazing books by Eckhart Tolle, yeah. the, the Power of Now and uh, A New Awakening, and they had such a profound effect on me. But I, it's the one thing I really struggle with is, is letting go of the past and the future. And I, th- I really – it's something that I – I guess I need to stop working at it and just allow it to be, you know. You must release the pain, body. <laughs> you must, the observant self must come to be with the present self. <laughs> this is the only path. When you listen to him, you're like, how did you, this Austrian dude that sat on a bench for a mm. week and discovered this thing. is a fascinating cat. Oh, he, no, he is. He's, I mean, he, he's Paris. I'm so glad that I read his books before I heard him talk. Yeah, yeah oh, my God, yeah. yeah. It's too wild otherwise. <laughs> yeah, you go, no, I'm not fucking listening to Dr. Evil <laughs> teach me about the beauty, the expressive beauty of, of a flower. You know, mm, $1 million. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, look, it's funny, though, the uh, – I made I made quite a good business out of getting sacked from various TV shows and radio shows and got paid off quite a lot. So I was always really lucky. And then in the final time when I got sacked from 2UE Radio, my manager said, look, you need to disappear for a year. And I went, fine, great, great. And then three months in, started getting junky scratches, like feeling in just having so much self-doubt about, well, I'm not a person if I'm not – been talked about if I'm not being broadcast, if I'm not Dicko, what the fuck am I? And it just, it, it was really challenging. Just, I realized 
shamefully that I'd become so addicted to being famous. And it just felt, oh, it just was one of the worst things. And the more I thought about it, the more hooked I felt. And 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 that was kind of part of, of leaving Sydney. I thought, if I'm going to get over being Dicko, I'll probably need to do it elsewhere. And the TV work's dried up. And I'm really not. I'm really not bothered about that. Um, you know, I get offered TV shows, but I just don't want to do them. There's no reason to do these things. There used to be a reason because I used to be excited by it, and and it just it just if it just doesn't do it for me anymore. The last three shows I did sport me. I did Australia's Got Talent, which is not a judging show. It's it's a it's a role for a kindly uncle to make big faces and perform. And that's joyous. And then I went with First Contact, went around Australia visiting Indigenous communities, and that was just mind-blowing. And then I got invited to go for a month away with Getaway in Vietnam and Cambodia. And I went, wow, th these are awesome jobs. And I thought, well, th these don't exist anymore. I, I don't want to go back and do reality TV. I don't want to sit in the jungle and have producers sit in a, in a box pressing my buttons. I don't mind eating ostrich arseholes. I would do that. But, but, it, but yeah, it all just seemed a, a little bit daft. And, and I've, I've just, I've got to the point where I don't even feel well-known anymore. I don't feel, I don't feel like that person anymore. I don't feel like Dicko. Dicko feels like a different person. Can we unpack that a bit? Because I know that you, you created Dicko to, to live into, didn't you? Look, I don't know. I, I always was Dicko. But then when you go on television, it, it, it just becomes turbocharged, doesn't it? And, and television is such a hungry beast and the, and the media that surrounds it is so voracious that you end up overstuffing the pillow, so to speak. So, so I overstuffed this character with, with so, much, so many one-liners, so many pithy remarks, so many quotable, you know, like bon mot that it, it just became like a caricature, really. You do, look, you would have felt this. You, you've gone through transformations. You, I mean, you, you changed your name. Mm. I mean, that's, you know, that's even, that's more, that's more hardcore than what I did, you know. <laughs> a few times. Yeah, and, <laughs> and um, you would know what it's like. It, it challenges the hell out of you when you think you uh, uh, are just defined by your public persona. It really messes with your sense of self-esteem and self-value mm. yeah well you i remember you were and I'm, i just I'm, it's on top of my own because i do i'm doing a live show at the moment based on the on the book mm -hmm. um and i talk about those first just fucking intense months of the first season of idol after we went live um, like we'd been working on it for months doing all the audition shows so we knew what, what it was but those mm -hmm. first few weeks when we were live and you know, and I tell, I, I sit down and I tell, you know, meetings, you know, I, just, I do talk sometimes and um, I tell meetings at work, like, yeah, we're just, we're getting 2.2 on a Monday night. Mm -hmm. That's what we were getting or on regularly. That's what we were doing. Just trying to imagine that people like, you know, people are scrambling for sixes and sevens, mm -hmm. you know, in this market and what it was to go to the grocery store, you know, but I'd had a ramp up into it through mm. radio and then through V and I remember, I'll never forget, you had this feeling of like, I've moved to paradise and I've just taken a shit in my living room. You were really, you were really concerned. I fucked it up. I've, I've brought my family to this paradise and I've fucked it up. 
Well, I was worried I'd fucked it up for them. And, and do you know what? In some ways I did. I, I can't take back the fact that my kids grew up um, the kids of, of a notorious person. And I don't even know. This may have affected their friendships with kids. You know, it's funny. One of my daughters doesn't really get asked back to her school reunions anymore. And I guess I wonder how much of this craziness at that time had an effect on them. You know, did they, you know, did they push it too hard? But were they, you know, were they giving it the big I am? The, yeah, it's hard to know. It's but I can't, I can't go back and give them a normal upbringing. You know. And same with my wife, you know, it's been a real challenge for Mel. And we've been together 33 years now and we're hugely in love still, you know. But I'm so lucky to have had her standing by me through all this. But there were times when it was really tough, Dancing with the Stars, which part of the format on that show is that everyone thinks you're rooting your your dance partner. But Mel used to go to the school drop-off and people would be whispering about, oh, well, he's having sex with his partner, you know in a stage audible whisper and and she yeah she she felt really exposed at that point and stupid and and you know betrayed and you know you, you, when when you get asked to join the celebrity club they never really tell you about that stuff i tell you what else they don't tell you about is you can't switch it off when you're done with it when you when you're done with being famous you don't go to being unfamous. You go to being vaguely famous, and that sucks shit. So at the moment, I probably am in that vaguely famous mode where people narrow their eyes and go, where do I know you from? I normally say I do a lot of gay porn, but, um, <laughs> and that tends, to, that tends to send people scuttling. But, yeah, they, but people having to explain who you were is kind of demeaning. Do you know what I mean? You kind of wish sometimes that you just weren't famous. You can't switch it off, though. You've got to go into this demeaning sort of half-famous bit, you know. Yeah. I I guess, you know, we we had the honour of being part of an iconic Australian popular cultural moment for a couple of years there. And there's a few. There's a generation of parents who watched, and a generation of kids that watched it together. Mm-hmm. And so there's this this gap of about, I find it's about between ten to fifteen years of of people. There's a there's a cabin in the middle, mm-hmm. so people who are kind of like, well, it's different for me now because I've been a bachelor for seven mm-hmm. years. But you know, there's this kind of these two groups of people that are like, oh my god, you know, it's 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 here we are. Do you do you ever look back on Idol and? And question its um, its ethics. I thought about this a bit the other day. I know people wanted to watch the um, the body count. Yeah, people wanted to watch that. That's what people. The Schadenfreude is what people got in for in the first episodes and the first couple of, in the audition episodes. That's what they watched for, and then they watched for the triumphs. Mm-hmm. All right, so there's this arc. That amongst these soldiers falling left and right, in your words, in the mm-hmm. middle of the Battle of the Somme, there's, you know, there's these shining lights that then come through and then there we are standing on stage at the Opera House at the end, crowning mm-hmm. glory. Um, I, I don't know. It's I, 2019, I, right? You, you think in those days we didn't have social media. Yeah. In those days we didn't really have an awareness of mental health issues. 
would we get away with it these days? There were psychs on set from the yeah, start. Yeah, no, but you know what I'm saying. There's the, Whether we admit it or not, whether I admit it or not, because it was often me that delivered these fatal blows to these kids, um, a lot of it was based on the show did have ritual humiliation as part of its brand, didn't it? There was that, and I used to... You know, people would ask me why is the show so successful and I, I would always say because it allows people to experience the failure without having to experience it themselves. Mm. And so, yeah, there's that person that they relate to getting stripped on television and they go, oh, okay, that's not me, but I can get it. Yeah, there was jeopardy, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I wouldn't – maybe on the first season, mate. But because people didn't know what they were getting into. But people – they walk into it with their eyes open, you know. They walk into it with their eyes open. They know and you've got to kind of have faith in, in that, that that you were there as a as a character. You were there as the... It's a bit of a cop-out, that is. I wasn't there as a character. Um, it's an easy thing to say is a great trapdoor. It's a moral trapdoor. Mm. You can just pull the lever and out we go. But the fact is, is um, I decided I was going to tell the truth from the cold, hard commercial perspective. And most of those things that were said, we would say laughing our heads off in the boardroom of a record company, taking the piss because, you know, most there's gallows humour aplenty in the record industry and we're a bunch of piss takers. So if you see someone who can't sing, we'd laugh our tits off at them and make jokes. But you do that in front of someone on television and it amplifies their humiliation and their pain and their feeling of shame. And I just wonder what it would be like today because, you know, these days I think we're all encouraged to try and be kinder, aren't we? We're all encouraged to try and see things from the other person's point of view, and I think that's a good thing. You know, it's if I look at, you know, if look at how things have changed. Look at, I was a big fan of um, Little Britain, and if I think what... Um, what those cast members have said about dressing up as women now, how they probably wouldn't do it now because it's a little bit, you know, instead of those days we used to laugh at it, often, I'm a lady, Ooh, I'm a lady, and I do what ladies do. You know, these days they've actually come out and said, we think that's insensitive to trans people. Now, it's easy to throw your arms up in the air and say, oh, it's political correctness gone mad. But... We should be aiming to be kinder these days. We should be aiming not to dismiss people on the fringes, people who, who make choices that we don't understand perhaps, you know. Mm. And so I don't know. It's I do wonder. I may have gone terribly soft cock, Osha. There is that. There is that. But, um, but it's, I do wonder about its validity. I can't change it. I can't yeah. change what's done. But I do wonder what we got involved with. I've, I, I've definitely experienced things in my career where I was told, and I wrote, I wrote, written about this. I've been told, I've been laughed out of a room for being too fat mm. when I was auditioning for a drama course at, at a, a university up in Queensland. So I know what it is. Mm. I know what it is to have that. I've, you know, I've been in, in Los Angeles again because I was too big. You know, having that uncomfortable conversation with my manager at the time, going, "Yeah, man, you're looking too puffy." They weren't into it, and like having that conversation and just feeling my heart go, "Oh fuck, I've been eating too many sandwiches." Um, but it wasn't on 
on camera. So mm. I get what you're saying in that the things that you were saying on camera were the things that were said anyway. They were the harsh realities of wanting a career in the public eye is that in a career in the public eye, visuals are an important part of it. And, you know, if you want to be, have a career as a singer, you've got to, have to actually have to sing. Uh, and well, very, very well. That it is then amplified by television cameras is tough to bear. And I look, honestly, at the time I was – I was in such sort of a whirlwind of all of it. Mm -hmm. um, if I did feel uncomfortable or sad or a bit, oh, that's a bit over the top, I'm pretty sure I would have gone straight to the bar after we did those audition days and started to demolish my mini bar and went from there. Do you know what I've just realised, actually, now you've said this? I've just realised that only last Sunday I said to one of the acts I manage, one of the singers, I said, look, you're carrying too much weight. You need, you need to. I almost said you need to shed, you need to choose more appropriate clothes or shed some pants. No, I actually said to one of my artists, look, you, you're actually carrying a little too much weight yeah. and I'm not sure you're looking at your best and I'd like you to do something about it. Obviously, that wasn't broadcast, but I think, shit, I'm still saying that. It was 16 years ago and I've just fucking said that to another young person. Yes, <clears throat> and in the words of, it wasn't, who said it to Michael Corleone in Godfather Part 2. This is the business we have chosen, you know. You watch Channel V, you watch MTV, you watch any of these music videos, you watch how, how much visual, how much the packaging is, mm -hmm. is a part of an artist. It's still super important. It's still super important and that's a part of it. Do you care about how you look these days? Yeah, I do. You can see I don't. <laughs> I do, but I'm too fucking lazy to do anything about it. Well, the you're ripped, aren't you? Well, not, not at the moment. <laughs> not at the moment. I've got more muscle than I've ever had, but I'm also... Didn't you get the cover of Men's Health? I did. I Men's, did. You got the fucking cover of Men's Health. Are you, I did. They only let people on there with washboard stomachs, mate. I, yeah, I was not eating much, and I was working out a lot. And what drove that? Um, I, they asked, all right? It was this confluence of they asked if I would do it, and I was coming off meds anyway and I was like, I'm, I'm going to need something to get in where the meds were. I need something to do and some way to release those chemicals in my body, with, you know, get the serotonin, the dopamine, the norepinephrine pumping through my system. Okay, compound lifting, big heavy weights will do that. And, you know, it seemed to be when, when's the issue going to come out? Well, it's going to come around, you know, maybe August. I've got a book coming out in August. With all timing was all there, you know. It was all it all worked wonders. It wasn't just I wanted very much to be able to show as well that someone that I'm the first plant based person on the cover of Australian Men's Health. Um, didn't need any meat to get. Can I take? Can I tell you something I've not told anyone else ever? What's right? that? You're um, about to tell a lot more people than me. <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> but know? I, I may as well give it to you. Um, I used to have a visualisation sheet, right, and I used to put it on my treadmill and it was a cover of Men's Health, right, and it was um, it was Shane Crawford from the Hawks and I put my face on his body and then I wrote all these different headlines down the side. Dicko tells all about his award-winning TV shows, his, his house in the country and his orchard his loving relationship with his wife and all these things that I wanted in my life. But I had my face on Shane Crawford's body and I thought one day I'm going to be so pumped and ripped that I'll be on the cover of Men's Health magazine. But I wasn't, but I laughed when I saw you on there and I thought, shit, now he's the sort of guy that he's going to get on there. 
I am heading more to the point where I could be a stand-in for fucking Clive Palmer. So <laughs> I'm more Clive Palmer than I am Shane Crawford. But, yeah, that's it. Every day I used to puff and pant on my running machine looking at my body, my head, uh, glued onto a, a, a body of Shane Crawford. There, I've said it. Visualization is super important, Dicker. It is. It is. It is. It is super important. I agree. I am. I say my morning and evening prayers every day, and um, and ask the universe to to manifest what I want. And it's incredible how powerful it is. Um, Do you know I've never been happier than I am now? That's awesome. I just seriously, I'd I'd like to be hotter, and I'd like more blowjobs. But I've never been happier than what I am right now. I'm pretty sure that's the open and close brackets in the most in the most <laughs> most I, everybody's thing. Did I just say that out loud? I thought that was an internal monologue, <laughs> and I think I may have said that out loud. And <laughs> I'm incredibly happy. Do you know what I said to my wife um, a few weeks ago? No, a few months ago. I said, "Look, I I want to work with some really smart people, and I want to work with an EDM act." I said. There's something, I don't know why, but I want to work with an electronic dance music artist. And literally within six months, I'd manifested it. It's just bizarre how if you're brave enough to ask the universe for what you want, it delivers. I just think that most people just are too scared to ask for what they want in life. You also make though. In throughout your whole career, you've also put yourself in the, in the places and you've worked to actively get yourself where the ball may be getting passed. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, well, that's common sense, isn't it, you know? But that's the thing. That's a step a lot of people don't take. Well, I, do you know I actually believe that I think everyone in life, vast majority of us on this planet um, will get opportunities to get on. And I think... The, the difference in whether you have or have not, unfortunately, is whether you've got the self-esteem and the confidence to actually recognise those or the fear. And I know that my mum, who's my angel, my absolute angel, has always lived beneath her expectations because she's always said, I remember saying to her, Mum, you're 60 next year. Where, where do you want? What do you want to do for your birthday? She went, I don't know. I said, well, where do you want to go? Where's the place you've always wanted to go to? She went, well, there's no point in me saying that. I said, no, tell me where you want to go on earth and we'll go there. She went, no, that's not for people like me. And I said, no, where? She went, look, I've always wanted to go to New York and go to Broadway. I went, click, we're going. And she was terrified. She was terrified that her dream might come true. And I could not believe it was so stunning to me that someone so close to me had lived their lives so way beneath their aspirations and their dreams. And she's the woman I, I love, you know. I think that's not uncommon, mate. I think that's not uncommon that people are are afraid of their own success or afraid of feeling worthy of asking or even doing those things. And I think it's a, I personally think it's a reason that a lot of relationships break down mm-hmm. and that people don't feel they're worth how good things happening to them. I've certainly been there. Mm-hmm. I've absolutely been there. Um, and then it all breaks down and justifies it. Yeah, see, I'm not worth it. Mm. You know, but, you know, subconsciously you're the one that's been sabotaging the mm. thing the whole time. Um, I think that's way more common than, than, than you think. What show did you go and see in Broadway? Went to see um, Fosse. Oh, my God. 
But she was great. You know, Bob Fosse, the yeah, legendary. Yeah, the choreographer. Yeah. That would have been incredible. It was. It was sensational. But um, do you know what? The, the record company at the time, BMG, found out I'd been, I was bringing my mum out uh, to New York for all these shows. They sent limos for her everywhere with a really sexy um, Tony Bennett-style New York uh, limo driver with a hat, with a cap on who was flirting with her. And they would send champagne and flowers to her room. And they treated her like a princess. And I couldn't believe it. This was the company I worked for who just went, Dicko's in town with his mom and it's her 60th. Let's treat her like a queen. And she'll never forget that. She'll uh, never forget that. Back in the days when we sold physical units. Oh. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Record companies don't look like that anymore. No. Fuck but me. I think they're bouncing back. Do you know um, recorded music is double-digit growth in terms of you know, in some two years running in, you know, in terms of revenue for record companies. Wow, but it has to be through 360 deals. It can't, can't possibly through well, no, well, well, they're all 360 deals anyway. Yeah, Do you know yeah. what? It's funny. I, when I was part of the group that, um, at BMG that explored these 360 deals. Because, Just for people who don't, who don't understand that. Well, I'll explain it. Oh, yeah, yeah, but what, what it was was we, um, record companies would invest, would make a huge investment in artists. And for example, we, 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 we pulled apart one of our artists who was a zombie, part of BMG, uh, Britney Spears, who generated $600 million at the time in revenue, but only $150 million of that came to the record company. The, the rest of it was, was um, live work, um, sponsorships, merchandise, publishing, all of these other areas. And yet the investment had entirely rested on the shoulders of the record company. So we were the guys who made the videos, that did like half a million dollar videos, making the records, spending the marketing, signing the artists in the first place. We'd made all this huge investment, yet we were only making a quarter of the margin that came back. And so it was decided the big, the first big 360 deal in the record industry famously was Robbie Williams, who was given $80 million by EMI, and they owned a chunk of his touring, they owned a chunk of his publishing. In fact, every single one of his earnings streams, they earned a chunk of. So they felt comfortable investing $80 million knowing that through all of his other earning streams, they would, they would recoup that back. And that's why it's called 360. Because if you imagine the artist at the center of the wheel, every one of the spokes that comes off the wheel is an earning stream. It's a 360-degree deal. Yeah. That would be $10, please. <laughs> no, it's, but it's, it's important that people <clears throat> kind, of, kind of understand what that is because that, that wasn't always the case, as you, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, and, I, and it's funny. We, um, I went and uh, talked to a major label about one of our acts that I manage at the moment, and, uh, and the deal was horrible. It was just I almost laughed, and I thought, I don't remember it being this bad. But, um, but yeah, the, the other thing is, is you, can, you can actually do it yourself now. It's, there's never been a better time for, being, for backing yourself in the record industry. There are no gatekeepers anymore. The gatekeepers used to jealously guard, you know, the, the, the entrance into the promised land of media exposure, of getting released overseas. These days, through the DSPs, the digital service providers like Spotify or Apple, your record can catch fire anywhere around the world without any record company. It's amazing. It's an, an incredible time to, to be creating music. I don't think I'd do it. I'm glad to hear that there's a bit of growth back into it. I remember, you know, maybe a couple of years ago when Spotify was like really kicking off, I took a look at it. I was like, man, I, 
you're either going to be in a high ace for the rest of your life or you're going to fly jets. There might not be any in between because you Well, he's still based on hits. Yeah. People want hits. Yeah. That's the thing. It's um, In the old days, we would sign artists to record companies based on the three or five album deal. But even – I don't even know if it's valid to sign artists on album deals anymore. I don't even know what an album is anymore. Yeah. Artists these days have to think very differently about the way they record music. In the old days, recording music was was governed by the technology involved. So you had two sides to a vinyl album. Once you released that, you would go on tour and promote it for three years. Then you'd make another one. And then you could put 16 tracks on a CD, same thing, but you would you would always jam the first three single tracks on the album would be the singles so that you front-loaded it with the ones people wanted to hear. These days, I mean, I think I heard that story about Drake's album with 25 tracks on it and only three songs represented 65% of these streams and eight and six songs represented 84% of the streams, which means there's like 20 songs or 19 songs that had less than 1% of the streams. Yet all of them had been written, produced and recorded and a huge amount of investment and effort and probably a lot of his emotional resonance and, and you know and and he'd put his heart into these songs and and they just don't get listened to not in the same way it's a hit driven industry it's still about hits it is about hits and it's about live shows when uh he toured out here the uh the other year like i think a year and a half ago mm -hmm. or something i mean 360 deals are also the reason it costs you 300 dollars to go to a show now mm -hmm. it used to be 60 bucks and now it's 300 because that's you know you used to sell concert tickets to sell an album and now you give an album away for free so you can sell concert tickets but when when audrey and g went to go see drake the production value was fucking mind-blowing and you look at where the australian dollar is you look at how much it would have cost him to put that show on down in australia but you got to put a show on you've got you can't fuck around you can't just kind of you know forget a, a country you can't just tour and just bring half the production if they've seen on show on YouTube, oh, my God, they've got sets and they've got a water slide and, you know, Pink's doing a backflip down, you know, a, a steel cage. You want that when it comes to Melbourne and you feel ripped off if it doesn't show up. Do you know how old I felt, though? I went to see Dean Lewis play. You know, Dean Lewis is um, he's probably the biggest new artist in Australia, along with Amy Shark. He's sitting up around 600 million streams, right? And up until recently, he'd only released six tracks. He's released his album recently. But I went to see him, and there were two acts supporting him that I wanted to see as well. Out of all three acts, including Dean Lewis with 600 million streams, none of them had a dedicated bass player. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, this, and, and no one gave a shit. All the kids that were there were digging it. The first artist on guitarist, with he was a singer-guitarist, had a kid on drums and, and a girl on keyboards firing tracks. No one gave a shit. And in the old days, we would have looked, we would have scrutinised the lineup on stage about how they made that sound and what was what. And if there had been backing tracks, we'd have been deeply suspicious. These days, the pragmatism and the cost of going on tour, you know, everyone's doing it on the cheap. Everyone's cutting corners. And I don't think it's a big deal for Dean Lewis. You know, I don't think he needed a bass player. Every now and again, the guy played the bass. But this is a guy sitting on 600 million streams. And and it, let's put in, this in perspective. You're looking effectively around $6,000 per million streams as revenue. So he's making good money, enough to pay a bass player. 
you know. So the world has changed. The, mm. the, the, the world out there that we think we knew is very, very different. New set of rules. And that's the thing. I, I left the record industry 15 years ago, and I feel like having got back into it, I feel like I've been in a coma for 10 years and woken up into a Jetsons episode where there's flying cars and mm. everything news. Uh, like conf confounding my old school ways, but I've had to really run quick to catch up. But I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving not knowing. I'm loving the fact that I feel comfortable enough to say, I don't know. I never would have done that in the past because I'd have been too scared of being found out. You're someone, though, who has been a part of hundreds of millions of album sales, particularly like you 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 are the part of the genesis and the creation of of Westlife who had more number ones than the Beatles man mm -hmm. there's you had to fucking bring up Westlife didn't you it's fucking i worked with manic street preachers i worked with dj shadow uh, encore launched moax around the world worked with the foo fighters and you fucking brought up westlife <laughs> i'm a sucker for a key change and an air grab <laughs> you got to get a grab my favorite move is you grab the passing butterfly Clutch it to your chest and then release. Do you know? Do you know my favorite my, my favorite time with you, Osha, <laughs> was when you gave me like a like a love lawn, like a yeah like like a you know how lovers give mixtapes to each other. Yeah, yeah. I always remember the time when you furnished me with your ballad power yeah. mixtape. Yeah. And I, I was kind of touched by that. <laughs> And it's just, for people who don't realise, it was basically every music crime from the 80s in um, like in basically rock, soft rock ballads. Oh, yeah. We had on that tape, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. Ballad uh, Wasn't it awesome? It was like, amazing. Yeah, winds of Change. Yeah. Last great whistle yeah. solo, I think. Yeah. That was a, uh, Patience was a good whistle solo, but Winds of Change, I think, was a – yeah, I, I used to burn CDs in the olden days. I would burn CDs and hand them out on a Sunday. And um, I did about one every two weeks. But the ballad power was the biggest Do you remember thing. we used to warm up the idol room, didn't we, uh, at auditions with we that? Did. Everyone would be into it, doing their, doing their air guitar solos to yeah. David Coverdale. And yeah. When I see you smile. It's the way forward. It's the fucking it's a great song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's great. I don't think we'll ever have that kind of, you know, the trick was to always give them two verses before you hit them with the cook. Mm -hmm. You had to make them sit through the, the, the oh, yeah. second. It's not there yet. I've been missing. Got to tease it. Got to tease it. Got to tease it. Uh, to rewind a little though, you were you were you've been a part of some extraordinary record company success from you know the oldest of the old school methods though. What from your previous life of the bricks and mortar in stores and units being sold lessons still apply today, even though you're now here in the future? Well. What I'm finding is that the, the vehicle has changed, but the passenger is still the same. And no matter how um, intoxicated you get by lifting the bonnet and looking at the, the, all the gadgets under the hood, if you don't understand what the passenger is and where it needs to go, you're fucked. And I think that's kind of what I bring to this new world is to say, what makes you fascinating as a person? What makes you absolutely captivating and I still hold the when I was last working in the record industry my my bullet points were such that I would say if I'm interested in an artist it's for these reasons number one they've got to be likable number two they have to be ambitious and number three they've got to be talented in that order and talent was always a very poor third because if you're not likable doesn't matter how good you are. No one's going to buy your stuff or go to your gigs. So it's that likability and that ambition 
and 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 talent. And if I can if I can keep reminding people that I work with of the, of of those necessities, you know, it doesn't matter how we get them there. You've, you, the passengers got to be right. You know, you, they've got to understand where they're heading. And look, a lot of these guys these days they don't understand the need for a clear artist proposition. You know, they don't. They, they've got to understand what it is that makes them special, what their truths are, and then that has to inform everything that they do and the way they do it and the things they say and the words they use, the colours that they use, you know. And, and and that's old school, but it's still fundamental when it comes to presenting an idea and matching that up with, with, a, with a section in the market. And it more so than ever now because when in your previous life the way that was expressed was fundamentally through a one three-and-a-half-minute song and one three-and-a-half-minute video and maybe an interview here or there. But now that artist is communicating through that lens every hour, every day through their Instagram, Snapchat and Twitter. Yeah, now it, it's an amazing – if you can get that right, if you can get the message in, if you can understand your artist's proposition, you, you own that conversation with, with the fans. I mean, these days, who'd have ever have imagined a time – where an artist could announce and release an album in one day. The cycle used to be three months in a, for a setup for an album. You know, everything would have to be booked months in advance in terms of racking in stores, TV advertising time would have to be booked, everything would have to be planned so far in advance for that one big day. And these days, someone like Beyonce or Jay-Z can announce and release that day. That's incredible. That's unbelievable. But I think it's the same with look, the, the notion of talent has changed beyond music. If we look at, you know, creators or influencers, uh, tubers, if you like, you know, these are kids that are finding their own niche, that are connecting with, with, with other, you know, followers online and, and, and making some real headway, you know, making some, you know, really creating a community that they are fostering online. But I still think even those even those guys need, you know, need the conversation about what is it that you are, what is it that you own, what, what, what is your proposition, what's your offer, what makes you unique and how do you want to develop that and how do we stay on brand enough to, to get you to that level before you can start diversifying, you know. That's interesting to me as well, you know. Hold up, what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Were there any any lessons that, um, speaking of lessons from a long time ago, are there any lessons that Chuck D taught you that you still carry with you? Didn't, well, they, didn't they lock you in a room once? Yeah, um, basically, yeah, Professor Griff, he was the Minister of Information. For Public Enemy. For Public Enemy, who uh, obviously a Def Jam rap act, but one of the finest. I mean, that that's sad. You look, apart from perhaps AB Original, there's just not really the level of political messaging around these days in hip hop. Yeah, you know, a lot of it's a bit soft cock. And I loved the fact the public enemy were, you know, this pseudo military setup in the way they perform live. They had the security of the first world. Yes, which, yeah, yeah, which were we you know, we carried these Uzis and did a lot of these West Point uh, military college routines like marching around. Then you had Professor Griff who would tell anyone who, who well, even even if you didn't want to listen, he explained to me why I was a white devil and why basically my colour would would always make me that. But it was fascinating. That that's there's not enough of that these days. As I say, Avery original yeah, you know, um, Briggs is a genius, you know. Yeah. He's, you know, he's he's exactly what we need. Briggs needs to be prime minister, basically. Yeah. I, I think he's an absolute breath of fresh air. And, and he's so, he just doesn't give a shit. He's brave. He lives in the brave space. And that's what I wish more artists did these days. Do you know what I find so disappointing these days is how safe young people play it. And, and it was never the, I sound like an old fart, I know. But when I was growing up, punk rock was my thing. And... And there was there was masses of unemployment in the UK, and kids organised rock against racism gigs. They went on march, you know, march for jobs and 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 anti you know C and D rallies, ban, ban the bomb. There was just a lot of protest. If you think what's happening with climate change right now, which is a fucking massive threat to mankind, and yet yeah, the school kids are marching, and I applaud them. But where where the fuck are the musicians? Were the musicians in this? In 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 the in the seventies and the eighties, this would have been non-negotiable. You know, I would say there'd be a massive chunk of musicians organising gigs, organising festivals, organising benefits and awareness campaigns on climate change. They've gone missing. I agree. I remember Frankie goes to Hollywood. One of the biggest hit was Two Tribes, which was about the the the, the nuclear weapons arms race between yeah. America and the USSR. Shipbuilding by um by obviously it was written by um uh, Elvis Costello was about the Falklands War. You know, was a protest song. You know, there's uh, Tom you know Tom Robinson sing if you're glad to be gay. You know, in the, he sung that in in 1978 at a time. We weren't long out of locking up gays in England. And then he fucking sang a song, Sing If You're Glad To Be Gay. Yeah, that's brave, really brave. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, 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 I miss that there's, you know, there was a time when these kind of songs would be on the radio and they were kind of cool to dance to, Midnight Oil Tracks. You could dance to a song about something's not great in our society, let's change it. Mm. But there's none of that on the radio. There's no, and you're right. You're right. Midnight Oil, I, I struggled with Midnight Oil musically. I didn't really get them, which was a shame because I love the idea of Midnight Oil. I love what they stand for. And and I I need to learn to love them as a band, basically. <laughs> I do. I feel that I can't become an Australian, a proper Australian, until I've actually resolved that in my mind, you know. <laughs> but I do, look, I love what they are. I think they're such an important act. Yeah. I really do. I think just the fact that, you know, prepared to stand up and say, yeah, fucking stop Adani. 
stop Adani. You know, the fact that they're prepared to do that. Yeah. This is a big issue. Adani is a massive issue for us. It's the, you know, it's the it's the sharp end of climate change, right? If we can't stop that, then we're fucked, basically. And and where are the come on musicians, where the fuck are you? Where the fuck are you on this? Because people will hear that message in a song. Someone like me can talk about it, but I have to shut up and stay in my lane. You know, but you can sing a song about it mm-hmm. and you, know, you can make a music video about it and people go, oh, that's a good track. You can use your influence yeah. Yeah, to, you save, yeah, to save us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I look forward to it, basically. I look forward to the, well, the – if Bieber put out a protest record, wouldn't that be something? Well, <laughs> yes, he would actually because, you know, because he's got a huge amount of influence yeah. and people would listen. Yeah, you know? that would be great. When when you, what did it do for your relationship when you took that that year off after you know the the TV the radio you're in the public eye in the public eye in the public eye, um, I know that some relationships struggle when suddenly the everyone's at home all the time. What was it like with you and Mel? Oh look, to be honest, I never had a, a proper job, so I was at home all the time anyway. But it was this realization that this time of being famous was coming to an end. I kind of knew it. And um, it terrified me because I thought, well, what am I going to do? How will I get my – and, and yeah, I, I probably leaned – well, I know I leaned very heavily on Mel, but I'm really fortunate that we've been together such a long time. She knows every inch of me. She knows all of my insecurities, and she's strong. She's my rock, basically. And everything I've achieved, I would never have achieved without her. She's really pushed me to great heights and she's always understood me and she was there for me. She was just there to make it a soft landing and and she finagled us. She she basically conned us into moving out of, of Sydney. She said, oh, let's go on holiday up to uh, the Sunshine Coast. I went, okay, that'll be good. So we went to Noosa and, oh, this is nice. Then we went up to Mullaney and stayed in two separate holiday cottages. And by day three, we'd bought a house. And we got back to Sydney and I went, how the fuck did that happen? And then, uh, and then I th- she, she said, well, look, we can go there when we don't need to be in Sydney. And then literally within three months, we'd sold Sydney and moved up there. Yeah. But now the relationship is terrific because now, you know, we've got this new adventure up there living in the country and, you know, we have wallabies in the backyard in the morning and, and she's still rescuing animals and uh, she's part of the wildlife group up there. So she's up and down to the wildlife hospital at Australia Zoo all the time and, uh, with you know, with the Irwins. And, yeah, we've she rehabilitates all these amazing little creatures that we have around the house on the decks and we live in a creaky little Queenslander wooden house and... The first thing I did when we moved up there, he said, right, well, I'm going to have to build another wing. And it's amazing how when you leave the city, having been this person, you 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 perceive your value in all of these big ticket items. Like you've got to have the biggest house, you've got to have these, you've got to have all the, you know, a four-car garage and blah, blah, blah. And someone up there said, you need to live in the house for a year and just calm the fuck down, basically, Dicko, which I did. And now I love it. It's just the perfect three-bedroom, creaky little wooden house on a couple of acres and we've got chooks and you know vegetables and and you know slow talking neighbors and I play you know bowls 
and go to we have a vinyl night every every month where we go um, a group of us get together and play vinyl music songs attached to a theme that we have every month which sounds like a weird swingers club but it's not you know but no mel and i are having the time of our life and the difference is i'm i've got back into music and it's i can feel it's going to go off and i think i'm going to be traveling again but to my eternal shame when i was in that trajectory and i was young we she had young kids at home and i went off to every i used to go to america once a month i go to asia i go to south america europe every week and I left her at home with the kids. And I can't take that back, but it was wrong. I really, I put upon her far too much. And this time, I said, you're coming with me. And if I do it this time, this will be with us. We'll do this together. And we'll basically, everything that you missed last time, I will fucking make sure that you're by my side this time. So, so I don't know. And she's, she's thrilled about that. And, yeah, we just, it feels different this time around. You know, music is yeah, you know, and she the other thing about Mel, she's a brilliant A and R person. She was always the brains. I would take stuff home and say, This is fucking awesome. We've signed this act, they're gonna be huge. And she'd go, nah, nah, haven't got it. And that invariably we'd spend a million quid launching them and they'd fail. And then she'd hear a track on the radio. I said, that's one of ours. She went, that's a smash. And it would go to number one for six weeks. And we probably spent more on the office piss up when it got to number one than we did marketing it. But she would know. She's um She's a real smart cookie, mind Mel, and she knows her music and her instincts are just fabulous. I'm a very lucky man. That thing that you used to get, that thing that you used to chase on telly, that, that fame part, whatever it is that you got from being in the public eye, being Dicko, do you still need it? If not, where do you get it from now? I, I don't want it. I, do you know what? I got asked to go on, I got asked to go on In the Jungle. But I'm a celebrity. Yeah. Out of yeah. And, um, and I said to our mate, Stephen Tate, who's Channel 10, lovely bloke, yeah. I, I said, um, I said, I'll do it for this amount of money. And it was a ridiculous amount of money I asked for. And he more or less said, look, you do know that we can't pay you this. And I said, look, there's no problem with that. I just want you to know that, that I'm more or less on my way back to becoming a normal bloke. And I've almost out of the decompression chamber. So in order for me to step back into that situation, this is what it's worth to me. Of course, everything's got a price. You know, I'm, I'm, still, an I'm still a shallow individual. If someone offers me that amount of money, I'll do it because it'll be worth it. But, but if, if, if you're not prepared to pay that, that's what it's worth to me. I'm not saying that's what I'm worth. That's what me doing this that's what it's worth to me to go back in to this crazy situation and derail my rehabilitation back to being a normal person. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So, look, I don't know. I'm, I don't – I loved being famous when I was famous. Um, I don't really – I don't love it so much anymore. I don't it, – it just seems – it seems a bit silly, Andrew. Um, Osha, sorry. It's okay. It seems a bit silly. It just all seems a bit silly. Um, being famous, and that's the mo that's the best that's the best way I can describe it. it. I don't really need it anymore. Do you know what I really want? I want to break some acts around the world, and just watch them be famous. I want to watch them get mobbed. I want to watch. You know, I, I want I want to see their success, and I want to be part of that. But I I don't want to be that guy anymore. 
I don't need to be that guy anymore, you know. What? What's different inside you, though? Because, I mean, I, I only relate from my own things. I used to chase it. I used to chase it because I, I had a sense of, oh, if I get on this big TV show, then everything will be okay. Then I'll be worth it. If I get on this bigger TV show, then it'll be okay. And you know what? I got on those big TV shows. I got on the biggest one. I got on the fucking CBS. I was on, you know, live primetime US network, first Australian ever, if not at the moment, the only Australian ever host, live primetime network. And it still wasn't it. It still wasn't there. I had to find the, oh, fuck, it was that stupid fucking Power Coelho book. It was there the whole time. You know, it was in me mm-hmm. the whole time. Would you say that you've come to that place? No, no. I, I, I don't crave answers. I never have. I've realised of late answers are dead things. Answers um, are arrogant because they believe they provide some solution, but they're dead things that only exist in, as a snapshot in time. The real paralyzing questions, questions are far more dynamic spaces. They're dynamic tools for moving you forward and exploring what you are. And and you will never be, you will never be, able, you should never be able to pin down what the fuck you are anyway, because I'm a different person to what I was five years ago, three years ago. And I hope in three years time, I will have evolved again and become someone different. So there's no point trying to find answers just keep coming up with better questions and that really moves you forward you know what are the questions at the moment ah the questions are um will anyone really buy my assertion that almost the greatest gig on earth is going to be the finest entertainment brand in australia that's my question and look and i feel good about that Uh, you know it's we talked about ballad power what I'm creating in this show, it's my passion. It's my passion for classic music um, put together with brilliant production values and a sense of joy. And it may be a bit of a guilty pleasure, but it is a pleasure nonetheless. This is the festival that you're putting yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Where is it? It's at the Gold Coast, August the 10th. And as I say, it's, I've been thinking about this for three years, and it's the show I want to be at. It's the show you want to be at because I know where your passion lies for big hit songs yeah. and, and shameless hits. And, and we're putting together some of the best tribute acts in the country, but also all the best mus- musicians that we worked with on Idol and those people with awesome performers that we've cast to be young, hot 80s stars. So we've cast a young George Michael mm-hmm. who will be performing three Wham! songs with a shuttlecock down his shorts with these amazing musicians behind them mm-hmm. and these big production values. So when you think about a tribute act, you think down your local pub. Well, we've turbocharged that to be the best musicians in the country on a massive stage with an amazing sort of schedule of artists so that we'll, we'll open the day with Eurythmics, three tracks, then we'll go to Hall & Oates, mm-hmm. then we'll go to Madonna, then we'll have Rick Astley doing Never Gonna Give You Up, then we'll go to Cindy Lauper doing two tracks, and then we'll end with Elton John doing five. Bang, end of set one. And we do five sets. And it's meant to be this whistle stop tour through the party decade with the pr- biggest production values ever. It sounds like a live version of Hot Dub Time Machine. I would say it's probably probably not far off. Yeah, because that's that's Tom Loud's thing, mm. and it's you've seen the shows. Yeah. He fucking packs it in, man, mm. and he's a one man show. Mm. It's a monster. But this is the, but this is you know we want we want a young hot Bon Jovi. Yeah, and and we of course we're ending the day with Queen, but we've realised that 
we can't just get away with one Freddy. So I've got five Freddies and it's a show within a show and not all of the Freddies will be male awesome. and, and one of them may be operatic and we want it to be bigger than Ben-Hur and we want it and we will be, there'll be fireworks and we want people to be slack-jawed with amazement that, you know, this was the soundtrack to their life, you know. But you're, I mean, you've been to enough festivals and I think people, you know, when you, when you, even when you go to Splendour, you can buy, you know that it's not just about the on-stage experience. When you're putting something like this together, you've got to make sure, man, we've got to make sure that there's some good fucking food. We've got no. to make sure there's a decent bar. <laughs> it's not just West Coast wine coolers. <clears throat> well, I, yeah, I, I did have a good look at um, the fire Festival. Ha! And, Holy shit. And I thought there's got to be an easy way to get fucking Evian into the show. <laughs> He's so. amazing, though, on Instagram. I follow oh. him. He's incredible. Andy King. He's oh. extraordinary. I mean, you know, what a champion. Absolutely. I thought, where do I get me some of that? <laughs> That's the sort of PA you want, isn't it? <laughs> now, um, now, look, I, um, we, we, we really – we have two big words upon A4 paper, like massive font saying quality and joy. Mm. These are the two key words for our organisation for almost the greatest gig on earth. We start in with this 80s show. We believe this is the first of many and we believe we can start to explore many different things like 60s, Motown, disco, Aussie rock, almost the gayest show on earth. I, I, I haven't invented tribute. I haven't even invented tribute festivals. But what I think we have fallen upon is this insistence of the quality So, so and understanding that a good chunk of this show needs to be curated and put together by us with the finest musicians and the best singers and the best costume department and the best production designer to make this look stunning. So it's really ostensibly a theatrical show mm. masquerading as a festival. Yeah. But it's but it but it's a rock and roll show. And I don't, without even blushing, I, I say every day, I want this to be one of the most trusted entertainment brands in Australia and beyond. You know, I want people to know. And a lot of this has come from when I've gone to festivals, boutique festivals, from 1 o'clock in the afternoon until 7 at night, there's no bugger there. No, and then people show up. Well, our festival starts, the first set starts at 1 o'clock with the Eurythmics, followed by Madonna. So it's, you know, it, they're all headliners. Every single one of the acts that day is a headliner. And it's, you know, and we, you will know every song from one o'clock till 10 o'clock at night, because you will never hear at our festival those 11 most depressing words at any concert, which are, we'd like to play a few songs from our new album. <laughs> that will not happen. <laughs> it's all killer, no filler. That's quickly, that's quickly followed by, and you guys need a beer. I'm going go to go to the, I'm going to go to the Portalers and come back via the bar, which at any festival, we know that's a half hour trip. Yeah. So you're going to miss five songs. Yeah, but you know, we, look, I went to see Madness. And Magnus at a festival should be playing the hits. But they said, oh, we're going to play some new songs. No, no, Madness. Don't play your new songs. This is a festival. This is broad brush strokes and primary colours. Play the fucking hits. So that's what we've done. We've curated every song yeah. from one till ten. You will know every song. Yeah, and that, I think that's that's the gig's the gig. You know, you play you play your your new tracks when you're at the at the club show later on because they're the hardcore fans who are going to be there. Now, at a festival, you're that's where music discovery is. It's like the Spotify radio that keeps playing after the song you listen to shows up. You go, oh, that sounds interesting. I just happen to be here. Well, the interesting thing about our festival is we've already put the Spotify playlist up there yeah, for, every, for every track that you all hear that day. 
So you can actually learn the words to the biggest sing-along. We also predict we will have the biggest nut bush in southeast Queensland. So. Oh, fantastic. I've already started practicing. <laughs> when uh, I remember when Ken West used to talk about how we programmed the big day out. He wasn't about, and I find it quite fascinating that this is how we did it, he wasn't about what's the most interesting bands I can get at a festival. He was like, what's the most interesting crowd I can gather in the one mm. place? And I use the bands as bait. What kind of crowd do you hope to see? Um, I hope to see a lot of tipsy soccer mums, basically, uh, because I think they know how to have fun. I think I'm, I'm, I'm thinking 40-something women is our sweet spot. And they will, they will get together with their friends on Facebook and they will drag their blokes along. And the blokes will come along begrudgingly and they will say, well, oh, well I don't mind watching ACDC and Queen and, of course, Bon Jovi, but uh, you're yeah, not sure about the rest. But eventually the blokes will be singing, don't you want me, baby, at the top of their lungs. Because it's, how can you not? So, look, it's, but the weird thing is, though, Osh, is, we find a lot of young kids, a lot of hip, Triple J-type kids are really digging the 80s as well. And our social media guys are saying that, that uh, they're getting a lot of interest from young kids who love this. They think and, – and I guess you see that reflected in the likes of Toto, like being asked to play Africa at some of these hipper festivals, you know. There's a lot of these tracks that exist in the ether for young kids – so who knows? It was certainly not marketing it to young kids, but I think they'll come up along anyway. I'm always surprised when I get in, in the car. I mean, you know what it's like when you got kids. Um, on when I'm driving G to sport, the tracks that come out of the Spotify. She's got exceptional taste in music. Most mm. all my music discoveries through through Georgia. I don't listen to the radio at all anymore, and she, mainly because what she plays me is three months ahead of whatever radio programmers are on. Mm -hmm. um, but every now and again, she'll slip some Fleetwood Mac in. She'll slip rumours in. I'm like, what are you? And she'll slip Landslide in. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. How do you? Well, okay, I won't ask where you heard it. I won't make, I will not, the, the worst thing that a parent can ever go, oh, I love this song. Boom, instant skip. You just kind of go, <laughs> you just kind of got to sit there and just kind of dig that she's in the Stevie Nicks vibes. You know, and I think that's kind of fascinating, mm -hmm. you know, that, because I remember when, when we were 13, we were, I think we all become a little interested in our parents' record collections at some point sure. or at least the music that our parents listen to now. I don't know how much of it dates well, but there was definitely the kind of music, the era, era that you're speaking of, it was all big hooks and it was all, you know, just, just big sing-alongs, just sing-along, 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 sing-along. Well, I think it's time for the 80s to come out of the closet and to be loud and proud. You know, I was talking to a journalist the other day who said she doesn't buy the fact that the, the 80s was a guilty pleasure. She thinks it was actually rather good, and it was. But but I guess that's where the industry encouraged a lot of excess because halfway through the decade, CDs turned up, and of course revenues in in the industry just went wooshka, and then all of a sudden they had all these masses of money to spend on videos that would go on this new channel called MTV, and it just turbocharged this this process. And the other thing was. In those days, do you remember the artists were a lot more on a well, they were unobtainable, weren't they? These days, you, you get an access all areas feed to the innermost thoughts of your artists. Whereas in the eighties, artists were presented how the publicists and the record companies wanted you 
to digest them or to see them and to take them into your life. It was very, it was very guarded and doctored, wasn't it? Mm. So you only saw them in video or in or in an interview on television or occasionally as a spec on stage at a big at a big concert. But you never got the the access that you have to them now. No, you know so. It was so. I think the star. You didn't get a live blog of them going no. and getting a spray tan, no. which is what you get today yeah. with you know uh, what's her name, Seven Rings, um, Ariana Grande. Right. You know Ariana Grande will live blog her day mm. and just her just doing regular mm. shit. Like that would never fucking happen. We might see two interviews, mm. maybe one Rolling Stone feature interview, mm. maybe a snippet, maybe a fan club would mm. gather together the radio interviews from a promo tour and put it all on a. That but was it, it. But it added to the star power. It did. It added to the star power, and that's why. In this show that we're doing, almost the greatest gig on earth, we've got about over 30 separate tributes, different tributes, and all of them, they're huge. These, these are big international hits that, that are there, and they're artists that meant something, you know, yeah. and and hopefully we'll do them justice. So, But you won't see, you won't see a better band, yeah. you won't see better musicians in the country than yeah. ours. You mentioned uh, the excess of the 80s, and there was definitely uh, – there was definitely times in our life uh, where you and I have shared some some moments of, of excess. Mm. Um, Do you know what I value these days more than anything? My bed. I just love sleep these days, and and it's funny. My I have sleep apnea, so I snore like a fucking buzzsaw. My poor wife, honestly, more often than not, I wake up and she's in the spare room, and I know I've been snoring too hard. So I went to a sleep apnea clinic, and they gave me one of those machines with a mask. And and I tried it for three or four nights, and I went, I can't fucking do this. This is one of the best moments in my life. Is at night when I put get into my clean bed and put my head on my pillow. That is bliss. That is one of the best things in life. And if I've got to do that, looking like some weird fucking astronaut, you know, with a with a face mask on, kill me now. I don't care if I die five years earlier, as long as the time I'm on this earth. I can put my head on a fucking pillow without looking like some weirdo from fucking Twin Peaks. No one's going to see you. I don't care what it looks like. It's what I feel like. I, w I don't want to have to put apparatus on when I go to bed. I want to lie in bed and feel that soft pillow, scratch my nads and fall to sleep. <laughs> right? It's a blissful moment. I agree. Yeah, and that's one. Of, that's my drug these days. Oh, mate, tell me about it. Sleep's my favourite drug. In fact, I've just I've just supercharged my sleep situation. I bought myself a gravity blanket, and it's fucking amazing. I've got a zero gravity blanket. What's that? Oh, I just made it up, but it sounds awesome. I, it's a the blanket. The blanket weighs twelve kilos. Oh, so it's a heavy blanket. Yeah, and it just goes. Shtunk. Oh. And sucks you into the bed. I think I thought bla I thought blankets went out with socks. Do the blankets still exist? Oh, I don't know. What do you call a blanket? I don't know, but I think I, I didn't think blankets were something you put on beds. I thought it was dunas all the way. Like like a yeah. So we've got a sheet. So here is like like me. Okay. Sometimes t-shirt if I'm cold. Then sheet. Then duna. Then gravity blanket on top of the duna. It doesn't have any real heat about it. It doesn't have any warmth. But it just makes you feel pinned down. Yeah. And like some supernatural force. It's fucking awesome. It's but so good. I've slept so incredibly over the last week and a half since I got it. Memo to self. Yeah, it's really good. Mm. Gravity blankets. Yeah. Um, but I do – you say you don't want to die five years early, mate, but once your kids start popping out kids, once you start getting grandkids, you'll be like, oh, I want to stick around for this. This is fun. <sighs> Do you know what? I'm, I've had and am having the best life. And 
I'm grateful. I'm just really grateful for what I have, grateful for my, my girls, grateful for my beautiful, beautiful wife, grateful to this country for giving me these opportunities and grateful to the universe for keep indulging me with my passions and my, and my requests. I'm so stoked, honestly. I, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, I've got no regrets. But, but yeah, you can't worry about living forever. Do you know, we've got my, my father-in-law living with us at the moment. He's 92. And he hasn't got much of a life. He really hasn't got much of a life. And you just think, do you really want to live that old and that infirm and, and that fucking bonkers? No. You know, I just, I'm, I, you know, I can't, I can't worry about that shit. I, I, I'm loving my life and I'm grateful for it. And what, however long I'm here, I'm fucking grateful. I'm just really grateful. Can you just, can you give me an idea of, you know, you mentioned a few times, so I'm kind of interested that people might, you know, be interested to do a bit of it themselves. I, I didn't pick you for a God guy, but you say, you say prayers. No, I, I, I'm not a God guy. I'm not a Christian. I'm, I don't believe in God. Um, I certainly don't believe he hates homosexuals either. Um, Does he help football teams win matches? <laughs> Look, no, I pray to the universe. Yeah. I, I believe in the the laws of metaphysics. I believe in thought being creative. I, I believe in there's only one power and it's called love. And I don't believe in evil. I don't believe... Um, I don't think there's such a thing as evil. I think there's an absence of good. I think that light can throw itself. Darkness can't throw itself. Darkness is just an absence of light. And I think evil, as they call it, is just an absence of good. I don't think it has its own force. And I just, yeah, I believe in, I believe in the universe. I believe in the fact that we need to be in harmony. And, and, and look, do you know what? It's just a real hodgepodge of metaphysics that I've picked up along the way. I'm not a devotee of anything other than the fact that thought is creative and love is the only power. So there's no God for me. There's no, there's no imaginary friend. There's no beardy chap. There's just this feeling. Because there's still, there's still mysteries in the universe, aren't there? You know, science can only explain so much. What, what creates life force? What makes a, what makes a plant grow? What makes, what, what makes life become more life? What makes life grow? That, that cannot be explained by science. Why does, what, a, why does a rock not want to replicate itself but a mm, plant does? Yeah. There's, the, the, there's something really mysterious there that, I, that I, don't, I don't think we will ever know and, and maybe we're not destined to, you know, but, it's, but, but I have to believe that there's, there's a universal spirit out there. And there's a, there's a universal force that that we all belong to, and and that when we feel at harmony with that, that it's the world becomes a more magical place and starts providing. and And I think that we we're, we're far better when we're loving each other. I think we're far better when we're seeing the world from other people's point of view. I think we're better when we love. That's really it. I could not agree more. I could not agree more. I, I can't think of a better place to say thank you for coming around. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Rush. <laughs> You're the best, mate. Cheers. Thanks for coming around, Dicko. I'm going to take your photo, all right? Sure. So, thanks, man.
That was Dicko. How good was that? So great to hear his voice again. Uh, tickets for his new gig are on sale right now. Almostthegreatestgigonearth.com. Uh, it'll be well worth a trip up the Goldie. It'll be a lot of fun, that show. Now, if you did find this show useful or indeed just worth the time, please head to iTunes, rate and review this show on iTunes. It helps us a lot. It helps other people find out about the show. Or just tell a friend, tell your mum, tell someone about this show and get them to download it. That helps us a lot as well. If you like this conversation about the music industry, uh, I'd highly recommend Darren Hayes' episode from the archives or even the chat that I did with Peter Garrett. You may even want to listen to the Mark Holden episode, the other judge on Idol. All episodes are available right now at osherginsberg.com. There's no paywalls. Thank you very much to everyone that helped me make this show today. Andy Ma, who did all the audio production. Mike Mills, also known as Toe Hider, who's uh, done the live gigs with me and has done all the music for this podcast since it started. And of course, the producer of my podcast, the producer of my life, the incredible Rachel Barrett. Without her, I can do zip. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got any questions for me, you can either DM or, or on Instagram or you can email, send us your email at gmail.com. I'll try to get to your questions on Friday. Uh, I'll talk to you then on Friday. Until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.